when you hear the name, the Iron Giant, mm-hmm. if you could sum that up into a couple sentences, maybe a phrase, a word, you know, what is some of the first things that get brought to the front of your mind when you hear that, the Iron Giant? You know, I, a word did come into my head right away, and I said, no, that's a stupid word. <laughs> um, and it... it and it weird, weirdly, I should just say it because it came into my head. The word was honesty. Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? It doesn't really probably doesn't make sense to anybody. Um, but it's because of my perspective on the movie and like going through the process of being on the production and, and everything. But I feel like, you know, I almost, you know, I may even have trouble explaining why that that word came in but it did and i think it's because that's the way everybody approached working on the film in so many different ways and and, um people were just trying uh to be to to get an honest performance you know And, and um an honest approach to it and and not only that is like we were we knew at the time that it was a special movie and we were doing our best to make sure that we ushered that movie out to the masses as best we could you know it was like you got this really good thing don't be the guy that fucks it up you know that kind of thing it's like don't drop the ball yeah and you and maybe there's maybe a little responsibility but to me it's honesty like i kept i remember when i was doing the a- animation on that i kept trying to dig deeper be more honest be more real mm-hmm. you know with the performance what i did be more honest with you know the people i was working with about you know how we needed to do this there were some pretty deep conversations about acting stuff and motivations and that between us guys animating you know you're trying to really get a get an honest you know piece of art out so that's my word <laughs> it, it 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 is as the word is honest it is the it was actually what came to my mind as soon as you said that and it's funny um in that funny i don't know if it's funny but it's revealing to me because i've never been asked that question before that's the first time anybody's asked that hey you guys it's your host julian this week i sit down with animation veteran and the supervising animator for dean from the iron giant mr chris sove during this chat we talk about uh, the iron giant man it's a big part of my life in my opinion greatest animated movie of all time uh so buckle up for that one we talk about a little bit of things here and there but for the most part it's a lot of iron giant talk If you're enjoying the show you're listening to, the best way to help us out, and it's free, everybody loves free, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this from. It helps other fans of pop culture and animation find our podcast. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the show. Chris, man, welcome to the show. Real big fan of yours. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm, I'm doing great. Glad to be here, man. Oh, man, I'm glad you're here, too, because uh, I've really been looking forward to this one. Uh, If there's one thing that I absolutely love talking uh, other than animation, it's my favorite animated movie. And it's it cracks the top three as far as favorite movie of all time. And it's Mm -hmm. the Iron Giant. Um, Whenever I say this, uh, so I 
fans know and they're tired of hearing the story, but I cook for a living. Uh, so whenever somebody tells me like, wow, that was the best thing I've ever had. I was like, I can tell you everything wrong with that. Right? I can tell you everything wrong with this dish. So whenever I say these terms, I always, I always dread what comes next because I've been told like, no, this was wrong. This was wrong. This was wrong. But uh, the Iron Giant is a perfect movie. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one. You might see some things <laughs> that I want to change, but there's a couple movies that I put this one up there, especially in the animated field. This one, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, come like straight to my mind as two of perfect movies from start to finish. These two wow. movies are classics, and I'm putting Iron Giant ahead of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, man. So <laughs> I would love, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. I think I'm coming down with something. So my voice is a little, uh, a little, like a little bit more distinguished than usual. Yeah, you got uh, the you got the handsome gravel going on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it'll work for me. I'm getting a little bit more white. Maybe I'm getting yeah. a lot of white in my beard and shit. So I'm uh, starting to become the least interesting man in the world. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, so with uh, with the Iron Giant, man, I I would love to just deep dive. And your career and your resume is, is so damn fast. I mean, you've literally went everywhere but i would love to stick on the iron giant for just a little bit man so sure do you remember where you were at when you start hearing about this movie do you know how you came on board does uh what comes oh, yeah. to mind when you think of the iron giant well see i was already there at the studio when we when we started so um i had i spent i'm gonna say nine months on a film called ray gun which was in development uh brad bird was directing and uh uh, we had a small crew. It was a great story. It was a great, really cool film. I think they're actually doing it now um, after all these years. But I was on that film as a supervising animator in development. And, uh, you know, nine months in, it got kind of what, what they call put into turnaround, which which this and this was at Turner feature animation. Mm-hmm. So uh Brad Bird, Tony Ficelli, like a lot of, you know, this smallish core group of the people that went to Iron Giant were working on this. Um, Plus, you know, not to mention like a ton of other great artists that came through and did a little bit of work and then moved on. Um, But after it ended, the studio was at this kind of uh, weird spot. I, I guess they, they wanted to keep Brad on as a director because he's great. And Turner kind of got taken up by Warner Brothers. So we became Warner Brothers feature animation. And I believe you may get a better story from someone else. But I believe what they did was they showed Brad their roster of films that they had in development. And they said, pick one. And he picked Iron Giant um, because uh, he liked what they wanted to do with it. They, he liked what he saw. And um, at the time it was supposed to be a musical and it was spearheaded uh, by Peter Townsend. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of based more on the original book. Now, so there was this, so how I got on to Iron Giant was because I was already part of this development group. Yeah. And um I did do like a brief stint on another film, a live action film, just, you know, in that time between when Ray Gun kind of ended and Iron Giant kind of got up and running. It was probably about two or three months. I was kind of over on another production that I came back to Iron Giant. That's how I got on it. Um, and uh, in the beginning, it was a small group 
And uh, there was quite a bit of, it was quite a different story and quite a different film at the beginning of it. And then Brad took it with the writers and the development guys. And, you know, we were doing, I was doing visual development, but for them doing story, like script and, and that kind of stuff, they really took the story and worked it into, into the film that you see now. I believe part of the, the um, reason they were able to do it was I think, again, you could probably get this story better from somebody else, but I believe that Brad made a deal that if he was going to take the film that they had to like stay away from him and let him do it. Like, I think they had Warner brothers with Warner brothers was able to have like two looks at the script and that was it. Then they couldn't do any more. So it was like, I'm going to write a script. You can have a couple of notes. I'll, I'll do a rewrite. You can do a little bit of notes. And after that, hands off, you can't tell me what to do. So, uh, um, so that's probably a large part of why it, it is, uh, it is the way it is. Cause, um, Brad and his writers are, you know, Brad himself is like a walking encyclopedia of film. He's really he's just smart and, and he knows his film. He knows what he wants to say and he knows how to say it. So he can speak many languages uh, in, in, in the production process. He can speak to executives in executive speak and he can speak to, um, you know, he can he can speak to artists and artists speak, you know, writers and writers speak, you know, that sort of thing. So he can wear many hats and he's and he's damn talented at all of them. A hundred percent, man. I mean, he's he's got three of my my all time favorite movies. I mean, if I don't see Ratatouille. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't end up in the food industry. I did a little detour with the Navy and stuff like that around mm -hmm. 2008, 2009. The market crashes, couldn't find a job, lost my job. Mm. So I kind of had to do something. So I joined the military for a little while. Mm. And then, you know, before then, I, I would always wanted to go to culinary school. I wanted to be a chef. And uh, Ratatouille was a big part. That was like the final nail in the coffin in a good sense. Like it was like the huh. final push to like, hey, I should really chase this. And he had that one. And then I said this a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, uh, I, had, I had had Scott Capel on. And he was. Oh, I know Scott. Scott's great. Oh, great guy. He had some of the. Cool oh, yeah. Movies. Um, and he was talking about the production of The Incredibles. And I mean, I, I said it then and I'll say it now. Brad Bird has done the Fantastic Four better than the Fantastic Four has ever done it with The Incredibles. I mean, <laughs> every movie that I've ever seen with him attached to it, it's just it's it's in my opinion, like I said, it's a perfect movie, um, you know, and then I had uh, you might know him as well because he's been around the industry for a little while. You know, an animator named Randy Myers. Yes. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad. I'm so glad you brought it up because Randy <laughs> was one of the first people I got to talk to. Um, Randy's great wow. too. Yeah, dude, he's a super nice guy. He was one of the nicest people I've yeah. ever had on here. And then he had some of the craziest story. Like his his brain. I don't like. I can't remember what I did a couple weeks ago. How this uh -huh. can remember what he did thirty years ago? The stories that he would bring up, the, the things that he would talk about. I was just in awe. I mean, there was plenty of times where I was just sitting there with my hand on the side of my head listening, and then he would stop talking. I'm like, oh, I've got to talk now. I don't know what to say. I was enthralled in this story. <laughs> so Randy I, is one of the greatest guests I've ever had. R Randy, I, I um. I, I think I first now I don't I don't know Randy super well I know I I had met him at Disney but he we directed on 
both directed on a show called My Life as a Teenage Robot. Mm-hmm. Robin Setti. Um, yeah, yeah, with Rob. I I uh I, I can't remember if he was I think he was doing it the first season as well. I I came in like I did I did part of a couple of episodes I think at the end of the first season and then most of the second season episodes mm-hmm. I co-directed with Rob. And then after that I think I was out of there. But yeah, it's it's yeah, he's got like a Randy's got like a real wide uh wide experience. He's, he he really worked does. on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I I said I don't know if I said this to him or I, I've I've said this since I've had him on, but I told him he remind. Like I said, I can't remember if I told him this. So Randy, I apologize if I didn't tell you this and you're just hearing it now. But he's like the Forrest Gump of animation. He just <laughs> pops up everywhere. He pops up with the Cal Art guys and Cartoon Network, and then he goes over and mm-hmm. does a little Nickelodeon, and then a little Disney, and a little Iron Giant, a little this and a little that, and it's just like. God damn, Randy, you're popping up all over the place. I love it, man. Like I said, he's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, he's, um, he's good. And if you're good, yeah, if you're good, you you tend to kind of bop around, and you know, if you're if you're good, you you end up touching touching in with these really good productions. You know, oh, a hundred percent, it happens. You know, it really does. And speaking of good, man, you guys did a lot of good. Like I said, we're gonna do a lot of Iron Giant talk. So you guys did a lot of good with this Iron Giant, man. Um, <laughs> So when the movie starts taking shape and mm-hmm. the studio is seeing the last two sets of notes that they're allowed to see, and it's just Brad's Bird's movie now, you guys mm-hmm. are hot and heavy in development. Um, were you always, uh, what's it called, positioned to be a lead supervising animator, excuse me, or was that something you worked up towards during the production of this movie? No, I was, I was brought on as a supervisor right yeah. from the get-go, yeah. Um, at first, uh, when we first started, we were instead of like normally on animated features, supervising animators will take a character. Like that's kind of the Disney, the modern day Disney approach. I, I, I think that, you know, the DreamWorks does the same thing. So each supervising animator, they supervise a character and a team of animators in that character. Um, with Iron Giant, we started as sequence directors. It was a different approach. So, you know, and the the sequences that they cast us were kind of they tried to cast the sequences that were wrapped around certain characters, so that you know we we weren't changing characters with each sequence. That you know, and in my case, like a lot of the sequences I was cast, you know, were centered around Dean or, or Dean centric. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how it started. So what I would do before, you know, we were working on character designs and stuff like that, but in this, you know, we would go into the, the story pitches and, you know, we'd visit editorial and we would visit layout as of going through layout and kind of like guide it through, you know, but it got to a point where Brad realized that it's not, it's not going to work as smoothly mm-hmm. to be a uh, sequence director simply because on a production, the sequences don't always come out in, you know, into animation in this, you know, well thought out way or this perfect way for, you know, sequence directors, like, you know, three sequences might come out that all are, are supposed to be handled by one guy. And then there's another sequence director, uh, you know, down the hall at, 
doesn't have anything just because the way the sequences are come up, it just didn't work out. So they, they kind of gravitated over to having us, you know, handle the characters. And um, so for me, my main character was Dean. And did you, did you get a say in which character you wanted or was it just seniority or how did that work? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know how it worked. Right. I, and I wish I could remember, like, I don't know. I'm sure there was just one day where they said, hey, do you want to take Dean? And I went, sure, okay. <laughs> I mean, I think it was probably as easy as that. Um, I did do a lot of development on Kent and I, I did do some uh, development and supervising on Hogarth, just kind of the overflow that Tony had. Tony was the superstar, you know. Hey guys, it's your resident cartoon junkie, Brandon Jones here, asking you to have a listen to my Animation Destination podcast. It's an animation celebration podcast, and it's full of all sorts of stuff about anime and cartoons and voice acting and all that sort of thing, and just a really all-around celebration of anything animated so come on by and check it out we've got fan episodes of your favorite animes to your most obscure cartoons on netflix that no one's ever heard of and just really love talking about it you can subscribe to us on spotify and itunes and anywhere else you can get your podcast from so stop on by subscribe and stay tuned for the animation destination podcast you know director of animation kind of uh, and um he was looking over uh, he was looking over Hogarth and, you know, he, of course, he's the designer um, extraordinaire. So he, he had his hand in the, the look of all the characters. That's, you know, that's to be expected. I did, I did do some early design work on Kent. Um, and then, you know, but, you know, mostly I was doing Dean stuff. Dean was, Dean was the main one for me. Yeah. Uh, he had a very, uh, I, I'm pretty sure you've seen this analogy, but a very Jeff Goldblum-esque vibe to him. Like whenever I look <laughs> at him, like if they do a live action and they could capture, well, I mean, Marvel did it with the uh, the de-aging where they they put Robert right. Jr. and they made him look a hell of a lot younger. I think they could do it with old Jeff Goldblum or even David <laughs> Duchovny. I think David Duchovny would be a, a fan. Of uh, yeah, there is another one. I think that, you know, early on, I think um, very early on, they were uh they wanted vince vaughn to do as really voice. yeah and uh that was the guy that they were going to do i actually think i may be wrong there was a very very brief time that um george clooney might have been in there somewhere too but i think he'd be a he good didn't man. he didn't have the swagger you know and and um but vince vaughn was the one they approached first i believe and mm -hmm. he turned it down um and then they found the perfect voice for him <laughs> i mean geez you know after that so uh so um it all worked out great you know yeah. um he you know there's a real there there was a, a lot of things that were going on with with dean 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 was the last character um developed he was the last all the other characters um all the other characters were designed i mean obviously well i can't maybe it's not obvious but to uh, um i guess maybe to your listeners that aren't super familiar with the, the development process there, there's a lot a lot a lot of drawings and a lot of time that goes into how those characters look 
Um, Hogarth went through a, a, a number of different iterations, mm -hmm. a, a, a whole bunch of them, um, slowly going this way and that way. And, and I have a, I do have a little story about that. I'll, I'll get to in a sec, but, but, um, I think that I'm, I'm go I'm, I'm saying this through observing Tony as he was, you know, supervising the, the design of it. It seemed like Kent was nailed fairly quickly. And um, Annie took, you know, slightly longer than Kent, but she it felt like they landed on her design fairly quickly. Hogarth, man, he they went so many iterations, and there was only a couple for for Dean. But like I said, they had Hogarth, Annie, and Kent, and then they had this kind of foggy thing that was a Dean character, <laughs> and and everybody else is and there was story, you know, sequences are going into production. It's like okay, well, and finally it was like okay, this is what he looks like, and this is what he is, and so there, um, there was a there was kind of a lot of stuff that went into into Dean's character and his role in the movie, and he had to you know he had to fit in to a he had to fit into a movie that almost felt like it was, it was kind of, the story was going along and then he was kind of like, um, what do you call it? Like dropped into it, yeah. you know? And so, you know, there was one, you know, that speaks to how you make him react. And, you know, he, he's a character that's reacting a lot in the movie to this crazy shit that's going on. <laughs> um, and, but also, he had he has a certain personality where um you know he he's he's got a magnetism to him yeah. and he and he had he had to have that because you needed to believe that Annie would see something in him and and you had to believe that it wasn't forced or they weren't trying really hard and it and it and you wanted to maintain the appeal of Dean. Um, so he didn't come off as some like, you know, guy that was on the make or he was trying to, you know, Dean is just very much comfortable with who he is. And that was a big part of part. It's partly thematic for the movie, right? You are who you choose to be, you know, mm -hmm. that sort of yeah. thing. Um, I, I know that, you know, there's 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 the uh, um, really while we were making the movie, the thematic thing that went through was you are who you choose to be. Um, um, I know that I know that Brad has said since then in interviews, like, you know, there was a thematic thing of, you know, what if a gun has a soul? Yeah. Um, it, um, that kind of came later, though. You know, when we were working on it, it was like the idea of you are who you choose to be. Um, and, and Dean, Dean had to have all these things and he had to do them in a very subtle way all the way through the picture. So it was a kind of a, it, it, I was going to say it's a challenge, it, it, but it was a thing, you know, you, you had to really be aware of how you were making them act and how you're making them react. You know, it was very, it, it was real important you know, to finesse how he was acting and reacting to things. Cause he, he did have this kind of subtle, but in like subtle, but strong uh, role in the movie, in the story. Yeah. 
He's a very he's a very fun character. I mean, there's there's a couple scenes that I point to. Uh, whenever, so this is the scene I knew this movie was something special, and <clears throat> it's not something that I picked up on when I was younger. It was something that I picked up on way later when I started to look at animation a lot differently than I did when I was a kid. Like most people do, once you become an adult or once you become super hooked into something, whether it's comic books, sports you know, mm -hmm. movies, film, music, mm -hmm. whatever it is, you tend to look at things from a different view, right? You look at them, you know, not for just what we're seeing. Like, what was the context behind that? What was the reasoning they did that? Why did he do or she do this, that, the other with their hair, their eyes? Why did they do this, right? right. So it, it wasn't until I want to say about 10, 10 years ago, give or take, you know, so I'm on, you know, a deployment, I'm watching this movie. And, uh, the train sequence happens and you see the little nod to Disney, right? Brad uh -huh. with Frank and Ollie. And right. I'm like, no. So I rewound it. And then I uh -huh. remember seeing a picture with them where they were, you know, tinkering around with the, with the, with the train and stuff like that in the back of their house. And they, I think they had probably just passed at that point. Uh, so it might've been an article I had read and it was a picture of, you know, them on the train and shit. And I was like, this son of a bitch did it. He just tied in people that he looked up to when he was doing his Disney run, you know, uh -huh. so the Frank and Ollie. So I, it was such a beautiful moment. It was so touching. Um, but getting back to Dean for just a sec, but that was the scene mm -hmm. that really sold it on me about, like I said, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Well, he, but Brad had worked, you know, when he was young, he worked at the Disney studio yeah. and he worked with all those guys. I mean, he worked directly under milk call for mm -hmm. a while. So he was around all those guys. He's, he's a real, He's a real animation geek and he's had the experience with those guys, you know? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So just seeing that little nod to, I love seeing, uh, and it's come up so many times in these podcasts. Like I love seeing when you guys take a scene and you put something of yourself in a background or you put something of yourself into that scene, mm -hmm. something that's personable, you know, somebody that might not pick it up uh, like, like a regular fan might not pick it up, but you'll always see it. And somebody that you, they know you, they will see that like, Oh shit, man, Chris did this one. Cause I see that little thing he put up <laughs> whenever I can yeah. see something like that. It makes it more sentimental. It makes it more, it makes it mean something. Right. So seeing that I was like, Oh, that was his love letter. And this is what this podcast is. This, this podcast is a love letter to you guys. It's a love letter to animation mm -hmm. and comic books because you guys elicited a feeling in me at such a young age and that translated into an adulthood. And I, and I get to share these movies, these experiences, these stories, not only with everybody that listens and watches the show. Thank you for watching and listening, ladies and gentlemen, but I get to share it with my kids as well. Right. So mm -hmm. I, 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 it's something special that I really hold on to. Um, right. And, and going back, like I said, going back to Dean, what I absolutely love just Dean, I don't want to say he was the comic relief, but he had so many scenes in there where there was a shit ton of tension or there was a shit ton of like, oh, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a 200 foot robot out here. Right. And mm -hmm. then it's just the, the first scene I see Dean in where it's not the squirrel, right? It's, it's the scene where he, they bring the giant to the junkyard and then he's like, he can stay here. Right. And then Dean slowly gets up. He pours his coffee out. Yeah, yeah. Holy shuffles off and slams yeah. the door. And then it goes 37 minutes later and he's still talking to Hogarth in here. That that scene is everything about that character. He's fun. He's interesting. You don't know what he's going to do. Um, you know, and then the tidal wave scene where the giant jumps yeah. in the lake and stuff like that. It's just like, oh, shit. You know, so it's that it's it's he's such a fun character. man. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, he, he He's a he's. It, like it's because he 
yeah, it, it's that cool. It's that cool thing that he has, and it it it, it does kind of like. It, it, <laughs> excuse me. He, he does um. He does have this thing where he he goes with the flow, right? Absolutely. So um, and he he sticks up for the weirdos and the and the goofballs and the you know as he does for Hogarth in the in the diner, and he's cool with the he he sees the he sees the uh you know the 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 weirdo and the goofball as you know as a as someone he can relate to I guess mm -hmm. you know, but he's always cool, except it presents conflicts to him when you know things get super crazy and then yeah the, the cool facade kind of drops in in a comical way you know it's just, he doesn't freak out like like a normal person freaks out no he's it? just like fuck and it i'm out of here <laughs> yeah it's just like <laughs> yeah and it's like not doesn't have to talk he just gets up and walks out of the room or he just you know he'll he'll yell at somebody or he'll be smug to somebody he's the you know he likes to thumb his nose at authority when he gets a chance yeah yeah there like i said there's a lot there's a lot to that dude you know and and uh and you know you're you're um you're working with like this really good script so mm -hmm. the 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 writers have given you all this great stuff and you just you know like i do remember um um that scene where he, by the lake and 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 you know, the giant does the cannonball into the thing and he's he's there with his, you know, it's the summer. He's there with his, you know, he's still got his jeans and his boots on and everything. Like, and he's sitting in the chair reading the newspaper and it's like, yeah, and the wave is about to hit him. And he's just like, yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, just the, that is in the writing. I mean, it was animated uh, really nicely, you know, and, you know, you get, you get a chance to, you know, you get a chance to pose it and stuff or whatever, but, but it's in the writing it's in there, you know, it, and you're, you know, you enjoy it in the, in the watching in the movie. And, and we kind of, we kind of get this bonus of, we get it when we read the script and we're laughing and go, Oh man, this is, Oh dude, this is so funny. And then you get to animate it or I didn't animate those scenes, but, but I supervise the scenes and, 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 but you get to play it out, you know, and you know, it's funny. And so you get to just play out this joke and, and you get to enjoy it when other, when you watch other people laugh at it. You know? Yeah. How do it's, you slip into a character like that? You specifically, I mean, whenever you get handed a character, you ask for a character, how do you, uh -huh. how do you become that character? How do you breathe life into this character? You, you, um, well, first of all, you kind of got to do your homework on the character that that's one thing is that you um you have to kind of get all the information you can about you know what the director needs out of this character for one thing uh that sounds kind of weird now that i'm listening to it coming out of my mouth but 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 you know you a director's trying to tell a story mm -hmm. your character is part of that story now yes you need to be in you need to take on that character but the thing is you need to have a good idea of where they fit in the story the way the director wants to tell it he wants this type of character okay then the second thing you do is you kind of give yourself or try to get the backstory where are they from what are they done you know 
And if you don't have it, you kind of invent it mm-hmm. if you have to, to get in there. But in the case of Dean, a little bit different than other characters. Um, Dean came along for me at a really uh, interesting time in my life. Um, you said you were 33. I'm 33 now. Yeah, I just turned 33. I was 33 when I uh, did when I worked on Iron Giant. Um, and I had, um, now, so I had just gotten married mm-hmm. and we had just had, well, I got married a couple of years earlier and my son, my first son had just been born. He's an iron giant production baby. Yeah. Um, he's almost 25 now, <laughs> but so imagine this in your life is, is like, I I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, a, a guy from Canada, normal guy, you know, you uh, come down here to LA, relocate to a new place with my fiance, we get married. So now you're married. And then within, you know, between when I'm 29 and I'm 33, I went from a, you know, a, well, a single guy with a girlfriend to being married and having a kid. Yeah. That's a pretty big life change. And it, it, it and it does, it does take some, some uh adjustment and you know having a kid is a is a huge deal and so i was in this place where i was a i was a new father i was newly married i i was my life was changing Mm -hmm. you know i had a new baby to take care of and 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 things were changing it was similar to dean you know dean was just kind of trucking along in his his life you know, having having his espresso and and listening to <laughs> cool jazz, and and then suddenly this kid comes into his life, and he's got this ginormous robot, and it's like, what in the hell is you know? And he develops a fondness for this boy, and um, who leads him to this woman who he develops a fondness. His life is changing. In a, in a pretty extreme way. And so I, there were some parallels there with my life. So I, I could, I could use my kind of life experience and pour it into Dean in a certain way and filter it through like the cool guy that, you yeah. know, the 50 school dude, you know, and I could pretend, you know, he's 50 school dude. And I, I can play that part and how he would react. And, and, and so I could put a little bit of my life experience in into the character and um that for for dean that's what i did Mm -hmm. you know and so there's a little bit of that in there um there's a little bit of just you know your experience that you have just in the industry and as an animator what you think would work it's kind of the same as what an actor would do if you get acting chops that you're able to kind of gather over the years you can kind of get them and mold them into something you can in you know inject into a character and you know you know it's going to kind of work a certain way um but the real truthfulness of it comes and the uniqueness comes from your own life experience and your own perspective and you're trying to put a little bit of that in you're trying not to do the cliche stuff and you're trying not to do what everybody else does you know you're trying to make it unique so that's that's where it comes from it's it's work but it's really rewarding when it pays off and you know it it, and 
all my career, that's kind of what I've tried to do when I've taken on characters. It's just you try to find whatever kind of unique thing you can put in there and and say say something a little bit differently or in a little bit different way that you know might resonate with people. And and if you're lucky, it it works. It <laughs> worked gangbusters for you guys in this movie. Now, when you sit back and you think about everything, every property you've touched, every character you've worked on, every animate or every every show you've animated on, uh, mm-hmm. where does Dean rank up there for you? Oh, pretty high. He yeah. he he was he was um, yeah. Because I I'm trying to think. I don't think I had another experience or have had another experience in my career where um, I, I was able to have, I was going to say freedom, but not, not freedom, but I, I had a lot of, a lot of say or a lot of influence in how that character came about, like on the screen, how it's portrayed on the screen. And it came about, at least I was lucky enough, I was, I'm trying to do the math in my head quickly here. I think I was about seven years, mm-hmm. 96, no, maybe more, 90, 96, uh, maybe nine, seven or nine years into my career. So yes. it was just enough that I could at least be able to do what I wanted to do with the character. Like it wasn't like, you know, I'd only been in the business for a year or so, and I still had a lot to learn. And I, I you know, I still was wrapping my head around how to animate and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I, 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 you know, I'm always learning and I'm always trying to improve. But it, it was fortunate that it came along where I at least, you know, the things that I had in my head, I could, I, I, I'd, I'd had acquired the skills to be able to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, he ranks up there pretty high. I worked on a, another film uh, uh, called Mary Poppins Returns, where I had a couple of characters in there where, you know, I, I was able to do a lot with them, you know, just have some freedom to do mm-hmm. stuff. And there's been other characters, little bits, scenes here and there of stuff, but nothing like, you know, a whole film, whole character as successfully done and as, it, it, you know, and fits into such a beloved film like, like, Dean does an Iron Giant, you know, that those things don't come around very often. <laughs> I do remember telling the guys that were working on my team that there, there was a thing that Brad did on this film that was slightly different than what they do normally with films. Now, um, like I said, a, a supervising animator will take a character on, on a film. So when you see those Disney films, I don't know if they do it exactly the same way now, but let's say we're going to teleport back to the 90s and and you know most of those disney films they had a supervising animator for a certain character and then they had a crew of animators on that character and you just fought you, you just worked on that one character for the most part through the film um now normally then when the, what they call casting so when the director and the animation director come in they go okay i got i have a bunch of shots here i want to give you know, Julian is, you're going to get these shots. Chris, you're going to get these shots. And they cast them by the shot. And it's, if you're on that team in that Disney way, you're going to get shots of basically of your character all the time. Yeah. Now, that's not what Brad did on Iron Giant. Brad cast the whole film uh, sequentially almost. So, so 
each animator um, got like a run of shots in a row mm -hmm. for the most part, not complete. You know, you got some things that you got one shot here and there, but for a lot of it, like a lot of animators got a chunk of shots. Now, when they did cast it, the people that were on my team, they were getting chunks of shots that were kind of Dean heavy, but they still had to animate the other character. Yeah. So for me, like, say, for example, I, I animated the section where, you know, uh, um, Hogarth goes into Dean's, you know, little place there. And he says, you know, the whole coffeezilla thing. Ah. So said, oh, you want, you want milk or what? Milk? Yeah. Oh, coffee's fine. Coffee? Yeah, you know, it's espresso. You know, it's coffeezilla. All that stuff yeah, up hip. until the, <laughs> yeah, hip, up until the point where he's like talking. Well, I, you know, it kind of drifted off after that. But, but. But those are a chunk of scenes. So I was animating Hogarth and Dean, but because it was a Dean-driven sequence, I was animating Hogarth and Dean. So my point, what I'm getting to here is, is that for the younger animators or the ones that were like, say, a couple of years into their careers, I was telling them at the time, they were getting really nice shots to mm -hmm. do. Now, when you talk about really nice shots as an animator, like, a lot of animators would like those close-up shots where it's a lot of acting and it's it, those are shots that normally at other studios are saved for the supervisors and the yeah. and the the important animators get those like primo shots and the younger you know guys just getting in the industry they get the long shots where the character is really tiny and screen and stuff like that now on iron giant they were getting these so younger animators or animators starting in their career were getting shots and some of them were close-ups and some of them were like nice or longer shots, but like with a lot of acting in it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was great. And I was telling them at the time, like, guys, you know, take, you don't, this doesn't happen very often. Like you take these shots and do them well. Because you might, this will never, you go to another studio, you probably won't be getting shots this nice. And not only is the, the, just the shot selection nice, but the writing is good. The line delivery is good. I mean, the whole thing is set up. It's just dropped into your lap, this really nice scene. So I said, like, take the time, do it well, because this will look great on your, on your portfolio reel. Like this will last a long time. And I made a point with all those guys, you know, um and you know um mo and they listened <laughs> um there was an animator on my team called jim vandercal he's a great animator and and he 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 did some real nice animation of of uh kent and and that was in a sequence that that i was working on him with and he got nominated for an annie award for it and and good for him because he deserved it and, and you know it was just one of those things that, you know, part of my job as a supervising animator, I believe, is part of it is, yes, you're directing the animators and telling them, okay, you know, have them, maybe, you know, let's have them act like this and have them act like this. And, oh, maybe you want a few more in-betweens here or change the eyebrow here, you know, those type of things. Yeah. But it's also, it, it's also like recognizing the stuff that, you know, that the, the guys on your team where they could really improve or really could get something out of. And you make sure they don't miss that. You know, mm -hmm. you, you kind of want to make sure that they get the most out of, you know, their, their experience on the movie, you know, come out uh, at the end of the movie a lot better than when they went in 
that's kind of to me is a cool part of being a supervisor it's like you know you you take these guys and you 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 make sure that they're taking advantage of the things that you, that they can take advantage of so at the end it's like they also they worked on a great film but they also got you know a lot more they're they're a lot better than they were before that's that's a cool part of being a supervisor you know that's a good part about being a good leader too man because when you've got somebody <laughs> that's out there that's really in the trenches with you i i've mm. i've I've said it so many times. I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but when it comes to work, man, I'd much rather go and work for less money if the people are good. Like I didn't mm -hmm. realize that when I was younger, I always just thought it was like, oh, I got to go someplace where I can work and I get lots of money for it because they take lots of my time for it. It wasn't until probably my last deployment, um, I'm 24, 25. And then with the government, you're making the same money no matter what. If you're mm -hmm. if you're a certain rank, you're making a certain money. But I was I started, mm -hmm. I started thinking I was like, fuck man, I would much rather work in a shithole job for shit money, and be surrounded by great people, people that yeah. strive to make you better, yeah. that they want the good things for you, than I ever would want to be making way more money and then just the people are shit. It's ladies and gentlemen, you'll find that out as you get older. It's all about the people you work with. Um, Yep. And, and yeah. speaking, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to, I was going to completely agree with you because, um, and, and, you know, if you found that out at 25, then you found it out very, very early. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'd say like, and I've said this before, when I look back now, I've been doing this for, I don't know, whatever it is, 35 years or whatever it's been. When I look back at the productions that I really, really like it, has really almost nothing to do with how good the movie was. Mm. It's all about the people, the, yeah. the productions. I think back on and go, Oh dude, that was such a blast. It was a blast because of the people, yes. the people you hung out with, the people you went to lunch with, the people you went for beers with after work or goofing around in the studio and, and that, that stuff. And you know, it's like you say, it could be the crappiest job, but it's the people yes. and, the, and it could be crappy pay crappy, you know, like could be that. I mean, lucky enough, <laughs> you know, when you talk about iron giant, you know, I was paid, my salary was pretty good and, and the people I work with were pretty good and the job was pretty good. So it's like a triple, triple win, win, win but win. you know, yeah, win, win, win. And, and, but I've worked on films that at the time we were just, and I'm not going to say what they were, but at the time, what's it rhyme with Chris? What's it? I'm not even saying <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know this film sucks. you know this film sucks you know and, and but you're having a blast it's like i don't care you know I'll, I'll do my best work i'm having fun doing it it's not you know i'm not i'm not putting this film together i'm just animating on it and, you know you just you just but the crew is fun and the people are fun and you're having a great time and it's, in the end you're like man that was a blast i'd do that again tomorrow if we could you know yeah. it's people always the people and that'll continue, yeah. you know, yeah, for you, you know, 20 years from now, you'll be saying the same thing. You'll just be going, yeah, it's people. Absolutely, man. And yeah. speaking, of, speaking of people, uh, a couple more questions and then we'll rotate into the fans questions. Um, one thing I absolutely love that I didn't start doing until recently um, was when a project comes out, obviously you guys get to see it before fans get to see it before it's released to the masses to see. Um 
but I got to imagine that seeing it at the studio and then seeing it with out in the wild, if you will, with a whole bunch of people uh, that aren't a part of the studio, they paid their money to go see this movie. Uh, did you get to see this with, uh, like I said, out in the wild? Did you get to go to a movie theater and watch the Iron Giant with just a regular group of people? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I. Uh, what um, was that feeling like? It it's pretty cool because you get to hear them kind of react to things that you've spent all this time kind of constructing for them to react that way, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. And and oh, it does. Um, and uh, yeah it, it it can be very um satisfying it, it can be very emotional um Getting nervous going into a situation like that not not really no because you've done your bit you've done your stuff you've more more than likely if you've worked on a film you've already seen it Mm -hmm. a, a number of times maybe especially in like all the rough cuts that you watch and every sequence that you you when you watch and then you see it all together and you you know okay wow there's the film is done and you usually see it at some sort of rap party or premiere but uh, yeah it is a different you go with an audience and see it and like when i went to see iron giant um everybody applauded at the end like it was like yeah. and i was like wow like <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, you know, usually they'll politely applaud at a, uh, well, no, I shouldn't say that. They enthusiastically applaud at the premiere because um, they're like, it's kind of this high five feeling. It's like, man, we did it. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's coughing. But to hear like an enthusiastic applause at the end of a movie, like just in your normal, like, you know, theater with everyday people in it that hadn't seen the film before, that's pretty cool. Like, it, you just, you go, wow, they really like it, you know, but I, 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 I don't recall like any, if it was any, any feelings strong either way, other than just going, man, that's pretty cool. Just, yeah. you know, you walk out of the studio kind of going, wow. It, it, it's funny. Cause I was about to say, you walk out of the studio go, wow, we made a pretty good film, but I, we already knew we made a good film. <laughs> Like we, it's one of those things. We made the film. We saw it. We go, that's a damn good film, man. That's a damn good film. And so if it went out and, and it was like crickets, you'd be going, you'd be kind of going, man, like you guys didn't recognize how good this movie was. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that, you know, I guess it's kind of the same as like, you know, if you were doing music or something, or if you're like an album, like you really like, and you play it for your friends and they all just go like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. You're like, you're kind of like, oh, well, okay. It sucks we to be you be then. We can't be friends anymore. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, sucks to be you. I'll listen to it with headphones on. Then. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's kind of like that. But um, was there, yeah, any... it, it is... go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there any scenes in there when you're watching this with, with a crowd? Was there mm -hmm. any scenes that, I don't know how to word this because I don't want to sound like a dick saying that. So obviously with you working on, on the movie, you've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. so you're going to see the scenes you're probably seeing it through the entire process yeah. from start to finish the rough in betweens and all this other stuff but was mm -hmm. there any was there any scene in the movie when you're watching it with the audience that you were surprised that it got a, a big laugh there or did anything like jump out at you going like oh wow i didn't 
I didn't think people were going to really catch on to that or I didn't think they were going to laugh that hard that long, you know, at that scene or. Yeah, there was. And and there was two scenes in particular and it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> My good friend, Ron Hugart, he animated the shot of the giant right before he hits the missile. He's looking up and he goes, Superman. And then Ooh. it's done. Right. And I remember when he was animated now, you know, sorry, Ron, if you're listening to this, <laughs> Ron is Ron. He, it was a super simple shot it, an animation. It was, you know, it was essentially a couple of poses of him just drifting into this thing. Now the, the key comes in the expression because they had to do some work with that giant to get expressions to read. You know, you're working with this mechanical way of, the way the giant was designed because he's a robot, right? So, you know, so he finessed this angle and he finessed it. So that last pose really just fucking hit home, you yeah. know? And then he just went like, just basically like, like moved into that pose for the, for the whole shot. It was really simple shot, but Holy cow. It, it, that is the, of all, over all the years, anyone says anything about about the iron giant they always mention that shot it's like the shot that hits everybody and you know emotionally every single time it makes yeah and and so like i i it it says something to me in that it's like it's not always the complicated stuff that does it it's not always the worked over you know slaved over this beautiful thing i created for you no it's the moment it's knowing when to just hit the one pose and keep everything simple it's where it lands in the story it's all the work that the story and the movie has done correctly up to that point so that it brings you there emotionally and then boom it hits so that that was a real um kind of well not an eye opener but it was a real really told me something now the other shot is almost the opposite of that um and so ron hugart did that shot steve markowski who was the supervising animator on the giant and i believe he won the annual award for that he deserved it he did the shot where the giant gets hit he's carrying He's carrying in the battle scene, he gets mm-hmm. hit, falls out of the sky. He drops Hogarth. He picks up Hogarth thinking that he's killed him. So there's a shot where the giant is, I believe he's like kneeling down in the snow and he goes to like pick up Hogarth and he's, he's shaking and he's starting to cry and, it, and all this emotion is coming out of the robot. Yeah. And it's one of the nicest pieces of animation, uh, in my opinion, of almost Ever, any any movie. Mm-hmm. It is so well done. And it's so intricate. So much going on. So many like what we call little staggers and shakes that all have to be choreographed and the looking around. the And it just portrays the moment so well. You just... It's like you really, really 
sense the feel of it and again it, it's because you know all the stuff you've seen in the movie up to that point that whole business then when they're in the forest earlier with the dead deer yeah. and and all that stuff comes and you can just feel it coming through the giant you can just feel it coming off the screen totally opposite type of shot like so much work going into animating all those tiny little movements and choreographing them all so they all work you know in the right way and then he gets blasted from behind by the by the by the you know the the fire yeah. you know so that um that shot to me um is one of those things when um i don't hear as many people talk about that shot mm. as they talk about the you know uh superman shot and and <laughs> no offense to my buddy ron but i look at the i go when people say oh man yeah superman superman and i go yeah but did you see the shot where he's like on his knees and he's shaking but that thing is freaking amazing it's like you know and that doesn't really get talked about too much so there you go it's like almost like opposites there you know you got one that's talked about a lot one that's talk, not really talked about too much but um both animated brilliantly in two completely different ways you know beautiful man i i, I mm. i'm glad you talked about those two shots because like i said that superman gets me every single time yep I'm trying not to cry now so sorry <laughs> it's <laughs> that, an emotional that, thing it, it really is and i didn't i didn't take when i was younger and i saw the scene that we were just talking about where he mm. thinks that hogarth is dead you know until i had a kid I couldn't yes. feel the way that you just felt because having a kid and then looking at it in that sense, that's where it gets me. Like there, yeah. there's, there's one or two ways that I go the complete nuclear option. There's three ways, really. You fuck with my wife, you fuck with my kids or you fuck with my dogs. Uh -huh. Generally those three things. And I'm going to fight anybody and everybody, and I'm going to kill anybody and everybody in mm -hmm. front of me fuck with those three things. Um, but like I said, it wasn't until I had uh, my first son where I see that scene and then I'm like, oh, shit, this is a lot deeper than yeah. it was before. The first time I saw this, the second time I saw whatever it was, you know, seeing this as an adult, seeing this with kids, I was like, it hits home a lot more. Um, so it, it's I'm glad you brought up those two scenes. Um, yeah. Go ahead, when, go ahead. One thing I'll in interject is that that comes in a little bit with you know what i was talking about earlier with how dean the the dean assignment came into my life at a certain time as yeah. being a new dad that does so change your outlook on that i i could i could use that in you know what is it like he's starting to have feelings for this kid it, you know like he likes this kid and it's like mm -hmm. he he feels like he needs to like help this kid out you know mm -hmm. like this kid's cool man like like yeah dude yeah having I, I mean it almost it seems to it seems to go without saying but dude having a having a kid just so changes you you know Absolutely. like your life focus just goes over here the perspective completely changes and you you're, don't matter. yeah it's and all about that little kid and yeah and totally your like reaction to things in movies are like completely different yeah, you know, just your reaction to things when you see things happen with kids. It's just like, yeah, completely different than somebody like who's never had kids before. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. man. And uh, before we rotate the fans' questions, I don't think I've ever showed it. So I don't, I don't really work out too much anymore. 
my first tattoo was actually the giant. So really? Yes, 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 yes. I'm gonna see if I can get a decent. Uh, so I don't know if you can really see him. Holy crap! Really. Look at that. But yeah, so Swamp Thing's right below him. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the giant. He's sitting on the mountain. Uh, everybody that I that's nice. They say that it looks like the uh, looks like the giant's taking a shit on the mountain. I was like, Shut up, man. don't try to ruin my tattoo right now. Uh, but yeah, so like I said, I'm, I've been a huge fan of uh, this movie. You guys, like I said, I say it's a perfect movie. I'm pretty sure that a lot of you guys work on it. Like, nah, I know where I know where we could have fixed something there, that or the other. But you know, it's it's perfection isn't really in the eye of the beholder. I think it's probably beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Whatever that. Yeah, that, that trope is, but I, I want to use it for perfection. So <laughs> I look a little bit smarter. But this is a perfect movie, Chris. Is what I'm getting at. I I think that that most of the people that worked on it, they have their own experiences working on it because you know you have your experience working on the film, yeah. and then you have the film, the resulting film. Two different things. So most people that are in animation, you know have been in the business long enough to know the difference between that. Yeah. And they can, they can sometimes if they watch a film that they had a really difficult time on, it's really hard for them to watch the film because it keeps bringing them back to that. For me and iron giant, it, it, I had a great time on that film. It, when I watch the film, I don't really, I'm not really brought back to being on the film. I just enjoy the film as it is. Yeah. I just watch it and go, Oh, that's, you know, that's really great. I don't, I've been around long enough. I don't linger on the, 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 Oh man, I wish I did. Oh man, I would change. Oh, Oh, why did I do that? No, I don't, I don't. That, that disappears fairly quickly after the, after the, after my work is done on the stuff, you know, it's a good, probably a good thing it, to do. Yeah. Because it's a good way to, you know, shorten your lifespan or at least give you a couple of ulcers is to just spend the rest of your life going, Oh, why didn't I do that? You know, dude, the film's done. It's out. You know, people love it. Be happy with that. You know? Yeah. That's a good perspective to have, man. And before we rotate to the fans questions, uh, there's one I want to hit you with that I think is pretty fitting. Uh, uh, When you hear the name, the iron giant, if you could sum that up into a couple sentences, maybe a phrase, a word, you know, what is some of the first things that get brought to the front of your mind when you hear that, the Iron Giant? You know, I, a word did come into my head right away, and I said, no, that's a stupid word. <laughs> um, and it, it and a weird, weirdly, I should just say it because it came into my head. The word was honesty. Mm-hmm. isn't that weird it doesn't really probably doesn't make sense to anybody um but it's because of my perspective on the movie and like going through the process of being on the production and and everything but i feel like you know i almost you know i may even have trouble explaining why that that word came in but it did and i think it's because that's the way everybody approached working on the film in so many different ways. And, and um, people were just trying uh, to be, to, to get an honest performance, yeah. you know, and, and um, an honest approach to it. And, and not only that is like you, we were, we knew at the time that it was a special movie and we were doing our best to make sure that 
we ushered that movie out to the masses as best we could. You know, it was like, you got this really good thing. Don't be the guy that fucks it up. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, don't drop the ball. Yeah. And you, and maybe there's maybe a little responsibility, but to me, it's honesty. Like I kept, I remember when I was doing the animation on that, I kept trying to dig deeper, be more honest, be more real, Mm -hmm. you know, with the performance, what I did be more honest with, you know, the people I was working with about, you know, how we needed to do this. There were some pretty deep conversations about acting stuff and motivations and that between us guys animating, you know, you're trying to really get a, get an honest, you know, piece of art. out. So that's my word. <laughs> it, 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 it is as the word is honest. It is though it was, actually what came to my mind as soon as you said that and it's funny um in that funny i don't know if it's funny but it's revealing to me because i've never been asked that question before that's the first time anybody's asked that well i'm glad i'm glad i can pop that cherry chris (laughs) (laughs) because and 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 it it, and it's kind of revealing to me that that's the word that comes to mind right off the bat isn't that uh it's revealing to me so that's that's cool I like that. I like that answer, man, because like I said, it's a perfect movie. You guys were honest with each other and you guys just, like you said, kept digging deeper to get mm-hmm. the realness, the rawness, whatever you want to use to to define that. I mean, I, I, like I said, I really like that one. So we're going to rotate in the fans questions here. This is one of my favorite parts of the show because the fans that ask these questions are a lot smarter than me and they can ask a lot more succinct uh, questions and they can bring up shit that I didn't really think about. But before we get to those, man, we got two questions. Uh, Your Mount Rushmore. So you get four people plus one is an honorable mention. Yes. yes, yes. How many? How many do I have to pick? Four people plus an honorable mention. So five people in total, but four on your Mount Rushmore, and then one's an honorable mention. Um, Okay. Let me let me just uh, think. So your Mount Rushmore is is animators that inspired you animators that inspired me okay i'm gonna start with like the easiest one and i'm gonna name milk call up Mm -hmm. there and i know i I, i'm probably going to do a little bit of explaining to these things is i know that there are other of the nine old men that you know and i'm fully aware of all the other animators you know how they gravitate towards certain of the nine oh man and i i understand that milk call is like the easiest you know the one everybody picks the one if nobody knows any nine old men and they want to look cool at the animation party they say milk call even if they have no idea who he is you're only um, you're the only third person that's brought up milk call. oh seriously yeah okay yeah. use it's um, a lot of frank and ollie uh, mine's always been mark davis i'm a huge mark davis fan uh but yeah milk calls come up probably like the last two or three episodes i've done milk calls come up okay right and so. mark yeah, and I and I'm familiar enough with all the Nino men and their stuff that I love about all of them mm-hmm. in, in as their way. There is just something about when I see Milk Call's animation and his drawing, and I know people have different opinions about it, and I know other people did stuff that was more deep and more, you know, unique or whatever. But there's just something about when I see like Milk Call drawings and his animation just makes me want to animate yeah. like i see his drawing and it just makes me want to draw you know so i think he's probably the 
one. And then I'm going to go maybe second, I think. Okay, I'm going to go a different way. And I'm going to say Tex Avery, probably. Yeah. Because I'm a cartoon guy. I'm not really a Disney guy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, I I saw the Disney films. I thought they were like, ooh, these are like the really nice films. But the ones I saw more than anything were like the Warner Brothers films when I was a kid. The Bugs Bunnies and the all that. And I, I love those. And I probably would have put Chuck Jones there. But then I started seeing Tex Avery films. And the Tex Avery um, stuff was to me i watched that and i go that it was like it's super energizing to me it's Mm -hmm. like like if i watch stuff that especially the the more stylized stuff um i just see that and i go man it it just again it makes me want to animate it makes me want to do stuff with animation there's stuff like in deputy droopy the 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 deputy the sheriff and deputy droopy when he's walking and firing the guns off a piece of animation is just so brilliantly done it just like and it's flat and it's graphic and it just looks phenomenal and i just could just keep watching that stuff like over and over and over and over and i used to watch it all the time when i was young and right you know early on in animation it just energized me and that's what i wanted to do i didn't really feel like doing the the Cinderella animation or whatever. I wanted to do the, I want to do that funny, you know, cartoony stuff. It was so cool. Um, so that, so that would be number two, I guess. And then, so I got milk, I got Tex, you know, rolling off of, rolling off of Tex Avery, then <clears throat> I might go to Ed Benedict then because of that design style. I really like it. Now, Ed Benedict kind of leads you into the kind of the sixties um, kind of sixties guys. Like, well, where I like their stuff, Holly Pratt and like Mel Crawford, like that type of stuff, the golden book stuff. I love that stuff, that design stuff, the, the kind of H and B ish type stuff. But it, for me, it started with Ed Benedict and mm-hmm. his kind of design, the way it kind of, gravitated and ended up being this stuff so for me there's other guys that are float around in that universe fairly close but to me i say ed because he was the first one that i discovered and the first one that i kind of knew his name and who he was and then he led me to the other guys so i'll say ed benedict up there and and um you know what i'm going to say for number four it's going to be weird and you're probably not even going to know who it is and it's because he's not in animation um he's a guitar player oh he's a guitar player named guthrie govan i don't know who it is but you're the second person that's brought up uh you know john sanford yes oh yes so he he uh he was like he was like who did he pick he was like this is gonna sound weird he was like van halen is on my mount oh yeah 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 i could say i could say eddie van halen um because (laughs) Like I started playing, so the, the, quick backstory here. I started taking guitar lessons when I was like like nine mm-hmm. um, or maybe 11. I was 11. I started playing guitar when I was nine, started taking lessons when I was like 11, 10 or 11. And I went, you know, when I was 
you know, finishing high school, that was my thing. It was either I was going to go into music or go into animation. There were my two dream jobs, music, animation, both dream jobs. I was like, I love both of them. And I, I, so I went to, after, after high school, we toured colleges and there just happened to be a college like 30 minutes away that was like world renowned teaching animation. And I'd like, I didn't even know you could do it for a living. And I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, I apply, I went to graphic design for a bit, but I applied for, for that and I got in. So I thought, okay, I can go to college and learn how to animate. I'm already taking guitar lessons. I can, you know, some learning guitar, learning music. I'm in bands and I'm going to college for animation. This is great. I'm doing both. You know? And then as it turns out, like I, after college is over, I get a job in animation. I go, ah, that's great. I got a job. Okay. I can pay the bills. I can keep doing my guitar. I can be in a band. And so basically what happens over the years is like, I kept getting jobs in animation and I kept making a living out of animation. So I kept doing that. And they just, you know, my guitar playing just became a hobby that, you know, I, I love doing. And the great thing about that is like, I get to do whatever the heck I want to with my guitar playing because I don't have to worry about making a living with it. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> anyhow, but I follow a lot of guitar players and I was, yes, I, I'll, I'll agree with, uh, I'll agree with, uh, with John. Cause I was a huge Eddie Van Halen fan when I still am, you know, I was, I was heartbroken when he passed away a couple of years ago. It was really got really hurt me. Um, really yeah just uh, i i did a whole series of posts on social media back when that happened you know there, there's just you listen with with eddie if you listen to some of the isolated tracks like beautiful girls or something like that the guitar playing on there it, for a kid that was like what 23 it's it just phenomenal the groove the feel it, it just it's amazing and then, you know, like the other side of the, this funny side car to that is like you, you got that red with white and black stripes pattern, like the, he painted his guitar that way. And now every anybody that sees that pattern immediately thinks of, of Eddie Van Halen. And it's like not many guitar players have like a pattern that, you know, that reminds you of that. Yes. But. I'll let John take Eddie Van Halen <laughs> and I'm going to go with Guthrie Govan. Uh, just simply because he's a phenomenal guitar player, but he is not a, you know, he's not a huge rock star. Mm -hmm. He plays kind of more e eclectic, almost, you know, almost fusion-y kind of music, um, but with a fun, with fun to it. He's in, in a band called the Aristocrats and, and um, phenomenal musicians, but they do it with a kind of a funny vibe to it. But, yeah. Part of the thing I like about him is he's he's one of the best guitar players you'll see around, but he he's totally focused on his music. But when you see interviews and that with him, he's really well spoken and he really brings out a lot in the interviews when he speaks and how he presents things and how he how he explains things that he's doing. Mm -hmm. I really, I really liked it. And, and so years ago when things were happening and I would have to do interviews and, and, and stuff like I would watch his interviews and I would see how he conducted himself and how he, how he spoke and how he presented what he was doing, because he is kind of like animation. He's doing something that 
they're you know guitarists watch guitar videos animation <laughs> geeks watch animation videos it's not like a huge like you know it's not like something that has a gigantic audience so that knows a lot about it so you kind of have to you kind of have to put things in a way that that um that you know people that aren't in that orbit can at least get something and engage them and 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 entertain or or give, associate be, themselves with yeah be engaging or be interesting so i'll put him up there just because one he deserves to be up there because he's so freaking good um uh but also because he did influence me in a different way in that one you know i'm a, I'm a guitar player and he's a great guitar player and I, I love the way he does stuff not that i can play anything that he does um but yeah it was to me how he presented himself how he he um how he always well spoken well thought out engaging and and funny at the same time so there you go um is that it <laughs> well, you got an honorable, you got an honorable mention oh man i oh, really um yeah i don't know people that are, are these people that have influenced me mm -hmm. oh boy um uh i don't know if i can think of any more um I, I you know i could i could go the 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 easy out and say it was my my parents or something but i won't do that even though they they did um um uh there was a few let me you know a couple of people i worked on with early on in my career i'll name two of them darley brewster and bob jakes they're probably if they're listening to this, they're probably going, what? <laughs> and if anybody else in animation like is listening to it right now, they're probably going, what? But they were pretty influential for me early on in my career. I was really lucky that I got to work with them in my first few years of animation because they are people I have immense respect for and they're great teachers. And they took the time to show me how to do things that I probably would have taken years and years and years mm -hmm. to discover on my own. Darley Brewster showed me how to do the finessed Disney animation, the discipline of the timing and the, the discipline of the spacing of the drawings and that. Um, Bob Jakes taught me design and he, like Darley does a lot of like really fluid Disney style animation brilliantly. Bob Jakes does the, the super cartoony stuff. He was directing animation on a lot of the first Ren and Stimpy shows and stuff. He's amazing. And he showed me a lot about design, brilliant designer, super cartoony uh, style animator. Again, another guy that's like a walking encyclopedia of, of animation history showed old, you know, would run 35 mil prints or 16 mil prints of old cartoons. He was the one that, you know, got me knowing who all these old, you know, cartoony animators were. So I'll put those two up as my honorable mentions because yes, it would have taken me years to discover the stuff that they taught me within the first couple of years I was in animation. It was like, it was being like super injected with cool information, you know, <laughs> like, you know, and my skills had to, took years to catch up with the information that they had given me in my brain so well i hope they get so, to hear this because there's nothing better than when a mentor gets to hear that their student their, <laughs> their friend you know their their young padawan i'm not a huge star wars guy but their young padawan 
took something from them investing their time uh, into you. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. it always means a lot because I've heard it a few times from from doing, you know, from cooking or, you know, when COVID started, we all got sent home and I did this little, it's a shameless plug for my little cooking channel, uh, but the Vanilla Gorilla Kitchen. So everything yeah. <laughs> I learned since I was 12 years old, I would mm -hmm. teach people how to do just on Facebook. I'd get bored as hell. So, you know, every night I would go live at 705 or live at 505, live at 605, something that would rhyme, you know, to be yeah. a time. And that's when we would go live. And then anything that I've learned from a YouTube channel, from a book, from a TV show, from culinary uh -huh. school, from all the chefs I work for, I taught that to people. And it was, it, was, it did, it did a lot of cool stuff. I got a lot of cool stuff with it, man. I don't get to do it as much as I used to because with a baby, a one year old, a 13 year old, um, you know, a job three yeah. dogs and then uh, this will be the first episode we're actually talking about it my wife's actually ex we're actually um expecting our third child oh so, congratulations thank wow. you i'm really excited awesome just, stuff yeah i just found that's out that's great last week so we don't know uh, if it's a boy or a girl yet we don't know how far along she is but mm -hmm. this is the first time i've actually brought her awesome yeah nice. so congratulations forward. thank you uh, and then the uh the next question that we like to do uh two books that you would recommend any fan of animation or any person in animation should have on their bookshelves. What are those two books that Chris would recommend? <laughs> so I, I I have to, I have to, and I always mention these. I actually put uh, the first of them up on my uh, Instagram just recently. The first one for me um, is uh, "The Art of Walt Disney" by Christopher Finch. Mm -hmm. uh, big old thick book. Well, the the, the first one the one that i got my parents bought it for me in back in 79 when i was really young um they knew i liked the stuff i would do this thing where i would like it was like a zen thing almost where i'd find a really i would look through this book this is a art of walt disney kind of goes just kind of chronologically through the disney studio it's tons of pictures some fold out pages mm -hmm. it it has a white cover and it's a drawing of mickey mouse with a paintbrush the one I had was one of the first editions had like a clear plastic cover on it that looked kind of like a cell. And that's what had the art of Walt Disney title mm -hmm. on it. Um, but that's since been <laughs> ripped off the book. I don't know where it is right now, but if you ever see it, big, thick one, I, I would suggest you buy it. If you, especially if you're a Disney fan, that was a real uh, uh, energizer for me when I was young. Cause I would go through, I would, I, sure i've memorized every page of that book and part of that though is at the time there wasn't a whole lot of animation books out yet yeah. now you go to the store there's tons of animation books mm -hmm. there there wasn't really any at all and there wasn't like the internet where you could just kind of look up books you had bookstores so my parents i don't know where they found the book they knew i, was, I liked animation and that was a book about animation it was thick it was big they gave it to me and i i, I loved it and there's fold out pages tons of tons of images from the movies drawings stuff in there um i used to meticulously copy them and draw like it spent hours doing it like a zen out doing this so that would be my first one mm -hmm. uh, our walt disney christopher finch the bigger one the bigger the better <laughs> and then the second one would be the series of books the walter foster books um the animation instruction books by Walter Foster. So Preston Blair did some artwork and a couple of them. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they're kind of big. They're almost like bigger than 11 by 17 almost. And they're paperback. They're thin, you know, they're only like a 
quarter inch thick, uh, but jam packed with how to animate stuff. And I will say everything you need to know about animation is in those books, about mm -hmm. how to, well, I'll put it this way, sorry. Everything you need to know about how to animate, everything you need to learn to be a good animator is in those books. Yeah. And they're simple and it's cartoony stuff and it's from, you know, the 40s uh, or 40s or 50s. I can't remember. But everything is in there, man. And I, I found those books later, probably closer to when I was in college. And I went through them and go, wow, you can do. And it shows you, you know, walks and how to flex faces for dialogue but it's so simply laid out and it's so um clear and you can just take that information and then you just you tweak it for the style that you're animating i animated like super realistic disney stuff using the principles i learned in that walt those walter foster books mm -hmm. that's where i learned this stuff i learned it and i turned to the animation table and i tried it and the stuff you know, that's, that's where I got the, you know, the kind of the first lessons on how you do this stuff. And I, the principles that are in there, I still use, yeah. you know, I just tweak them slightly to match the style of what I'm doing. So Walter Foster books, everybody should, uh, everybody should have those that wants to be an animator. That's, you know, everything you'll need to know is in those books. Beautiful. And then this one is always fun because it always depends. It's always interesting to see where we go from it. Uh, so this is the animation recommendation. This is where you get to sit there and say, hey, Julian and the What's in My Head crew, you should reach out to such and such and see if you can get them on the show. Is there anybody that you would recommend that you think would have a great time on this show? Hmm. Well, uh... <laughs> uh, there's people I think that should be on your show and should uh, definitely be reached out to to talk about animation, whether they would have a great time on the show. I don't know. Some people don't, don't you know, just don't like to talk about themselves. But, uh, um, um, you know, there's the, the, the kind of the, the obvious ones of, of like guys like James Baxter and those, those type of dudes. They, they, I, I like James. He's a great guy. Got a lot of information tony Ficelli, if you could ever get him to talk for <laughs> any time any length of time he, he would be great you know um this but then the, you know that james has come up in yeah he's yeah. he's just a great a great i think animator. andy he's, i think andy bjelk brought him up uh two weeks ago when i had andy on yeah I, you know i i'm I, these things kind of make me nervous because I, I I'm in a different headspace while I'm talking to you here. So I'll get off the call and I go, Oh, why didn't I just say him? Why didn't I just say, you know, there's all these people that you forget, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of searching for people that you won't necessarily get. And you know, if you, if you could get a hold of Bob Jakes or it could get a hold of Darley, th those be two cool people. Duncan Marja Banks. There's another guy. I'm sure I'm, I'm, kind of trying to go off the uh, usual suspects course you know um the guys that are around you know um geez i don't know like uh um, you, you gave us quite a few names here man so yeah i mean i could i could probably as they pop into my head but those that's a tough one because i know that 
you know, there's probably people listening to this go, Hey, how come you didn't say me, man? They're like, I, I, <laughs> and I just right now, I'll just go, sorry, man. I'm, 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 and then you can say that to I'm them. nervous. You can say that to them when they come on the show and you like, say, like, yeah, uh, you, you know what, you know what? I, I, I will say this kind of very quickly at the end that, that, um, I came to terms with it very early on in my career that I do not do self-promotion very well and I'm not comfortable with it. And I always felt like I was being disingenuous when I was trying to do it because you have to do a certain amount of, you know, self-promotion and, and stuff in, in your career. You know, you have to kind of toot your own horn kind of, yeah, but I was, well. yeah, you know, and, 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 but I was just very uncomfortable with it. And, you know, there's, so I kind of came to terms with that and say, Hey, this is not you, man. Like, like you're not the schmoozing type. You're just going to have to find another way mm-hmm. to, to, to let people know who you are. And you're going to have to be okay with a lot of people not knowing who you are. And, you know, and I came, I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah. So you know, I, I don't, you know, people, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that get mentioned all the time that get, you know, that, you know, are always the, you know, like I call the usual suspects because they're really good and people know who they are. Yeah. And, but for me, it's like, I, I'm fairly quiet. You know, I don't, I don't go around, you know, like I say, to my own horn too much. Cause I just, it's just not me, you know? Yeah. So, so I'm okay with that. It's like, nobody <laughs> You know, nobody says, "Hey, you should interview Chris." Nah, it's just, yeah, I know. Yeah, maybe, cool. maybe, maybe they'll see my name on a credit somewhere. You've, you've you know? been on my list for quite some time, and I'm glad you came on the show, man. Well, I'm glad you had me. That's just yeah. yeah this cool. is this has been a real treat, man. So the first fans question here, uh, we'll get to as many as we can, ladies and gentlemen. But there was quite a few, so we won't be able to get to all of them. Uh, but thank you for writing in uh, for the folks that did. Yeah. Uh, Nikki Hutchinson wants to know. What was the biggest difference in making an animated feature at Disney to Warner Brothers? Oh, the the biggest difference. Well, I'll tell you that. Okay. So um, for, in my experience now, it would obviously be different with a lot of other people. And I made, um, you know, uh, let's say between Iron Giant and then say working on the couple of times I worked at Disney, there's, they're almost from in my experience, it was almost polar opposite the mm-hmm. way they looked at features. Disney, Disney look Disney is controls every little piece yeah. of the thing. They're they're in this, they want to know what you're doing here. They want to, you know, and I think you know, you're going through this process where there's multiple, multiple levels of approval of everything. And you know, they really I'm not going to say micro, not, it's not micromanaging. It's more like just, they're just aware of everything and yeah. they're controlling everything. It's like, okay, oh, they know what's going on. They know everything, you know, Disney or uh, Warner brothers is like the opposite. When I worked there, they were like, they were like, yeah, okay, go. We'll see you when the film's done. You know, it's like they, they come in and they look, Hey, what are you doing? Hey, how's it going? All right, great. Hey, see you later. <laughs> there's no they're like i'm not even sure if they're half the time they were aware of what we were that we were even making a movie you know did you ever read chuckamuck yeah yeah remember that it's a it's a very famous story and i'm pretty sure chuck's actually said it quite a few times but uh 
um it was one of the warner brothers i can't remember i think maybe jack jack warner i'm not sure but he called him air warner you know the german term no. for, uh, <laughs> air warner. and he was he, he goes in there and fuck uh he was with uh leon schlesinger mm-hmm. i always pronounce his name wrong but he was like he looked at uh him and leon she's a jack looked at leon and chuck and he was like we make Mickey Mouse, right? And then before Chuck could say no, and Leon was like, "We absolutely do." And he was like, "Good." <laughs> yeah. so that's what that—that's what that story reminded me yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of like you know Warner Brothers, like, and and they're the both ways work, right? It's yeah. because you know uh, Disney is is on top of everything, but they also promote the crap out of everything. So oh, they you know they, the 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 success rate is pretty good. Whereas, you know, Warner brothers is like, you know, the film's done and it's like, so what are you working on? It's like, well, we just finished the film. Oh, you finished a film. Like, Oh, are we supposed to put it in the theaters or on TV? Oh, it's supposed to go in the theater. Okay. We better figure out how to get this thing into, you know, it's like, I'm being, I'm exaggerating for humor, but, but it is kind of like that. It's like, Oh, oh, what, what? Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, let's figure out how to do that. You know, yeah. and there's so, I just, we always, I, I worked on another uh, kind of a, uh, kind of a direct video feature there a couple of years after Iron Giant. It was a Mucha Lucha thing, a uh, feature film. And, and we swore, like we delivered them storyboards for the whole film. And it was like a stack, like I'm, I'm here, I'm going to say it's a stack about a foot and a half high of paper, of paper storyboards we delivered to the guys and the, the executives. And we delivered it. And it was like the next day or like, wasn't even a day later, they went, yeah, looks great. And we're like, dude, you didn't even look at that. You know, it was like, there's they at the no first- way they looked at the stack of paper and they went there's no way i'm gonna look through all that crap it's like yeah you guys are fine you're good yeah you're good all right you know it's like um you know we had a completely different experience than the guys that were doing the mucha lucha tv show who were just being like drilled you know they were having a hellish time and we were on the made to direct a video movie and they were like we just pictured a bunch of guys smoking cigars in a room going what is that yeah that's yeah, fine you know <laughs> so yeah that's the difference in my experience between disney and warner brothers you get to warner brothers we had the freedom to do whatever you want which results in great films like iron giant but the promotion side of it not as good as it could be um on the other side disney you know looking over everything you don't have all that freedom but damn they can promote it when it's done yeah absolutely they can man uh the next one's not a question it's a statement really uh penis under penis <laughs> i apologize Pinus. <laughs> uh that might be a fur that's a freudian slip i suppose Pinus <laughs> underscore productions uh wanted to say to chris and all uh and all veteran animators and people drawing and animating in the industry thank you Coming from a young artist, I'd like to state that y'all truly sank so we can float. Not saying drawing or animating is easy now, but it's 10 times easier now than it was then. Thank you for the inspiration and the motivation you and all creators give to everyone who is and will be impacted by this art form and these stories. Much love, RJ. Uh, so you got a fan out there for... Uh, wow, that's really cool, man. That's yeah, that, really nice. that's that's really nice to hear. I mean, you... you uh you um you you kind of don't think about that stuff while you're doing it you're just kind of living in the moment mm-hmm. but it, you know 
we had guys that we feel the same way about, you know, and, and, and you're appreciative of, you know, what they did. So, you know, you kind of like, Oh, that's really cool. You know, um, I'm glad that people are, are, uh, you know, digging the stuff that we did. And, uh, and it's nice to see, you know, when, when people are influenced by it, you know, it is really, wow, that's really cool. I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm almost speechless from that. Well, really cool, thank, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, RJ, for writing that one in. Yeah. RJ, cool, man. Trollatron786 wants to know. Uh, I love the Iron Giant. Its message is so different from the movies of that time. Uh, how did you feel it was going to change the animated filmscape? Uh, so what, I guess what they're asking is, did you think that this movie was going to change the way animated movies were? Uh, in a word, no. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's interesting the observation that this the story was so different than other stuff that was out at the time mm -hmm. um that um i'm 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 stumbling over that a little bit because my brain is working because i don't think i ever i agree i i so agree with that statement it just never really occurred to me mm -hmm. that that was the case and I think it's because we weren't comparing. We were just Creating. like, uh, yeah, and, and trying to do something that like, I, I don't want to mention names or anything of places, but I'd been at other places where I was kind of like, I looked at the films and I was like, man, they weren't really doing anything for me. And, and then, you know, we, we, you know, start work on this first Ray gun and then iron giant. And we go, wow, they this is really cool. And so it's not really consciously thinking it's going to change anything or thinking that it's going to do anything. You're just in the moment and you're knowing that you're doing something that you feel is really good. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great place to be. You're, you're learning, you're inspired, you're energized, and you feel like, man, we're doing something that's this film I think is going to be really good. That's really yeah. good. Everything we see is really good. And you just keep trying to make it as good as you can. And it doesn't really go beyond that. And, and um, part of it too, maybe is, is in the experience of doing these films is that you don't want to think too far ahead uh, of stuff because we don't have control over certain things. You know, you don't have control over how the movie is received or anything. And I don't really want to hinge any of my, I don't, you know, I get, I might get disappointed that people didn't see it because I think it's a good film, but I, I really don't want to hinge my, you know, self-worth or my feelings about it on something I don't have that kind of control over. Yeah. You know, what if they don't release the film? <laughs> you know, it's like they, you get the whole thing done and they go, man, we're not going to release it. And you're like, you know, I can see how that's devastating for people and, you know, and you wish people had seen it, but you know, a film like Iron Giant comes out, it doesn't really do that well when it's first released. So you're disappointed, but you're still going, people just have to see it, man. They'll like it. They'll like it. <laughs> so, so no, it, it, to answer the kind of the, the question is we, I didn't really think about it changing how animation was done or anything. We didn't really get to that. I was just immersed in having a, having this, um, this kind of artistic, you know opportunity to do something really good and then that was it you know that was you know that was the, that was it for me enough for me that was 
plenty. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Lagamba25301 wants to know, if you could change any scene, what would it be and why? And this is an Iron Giant question. Is there anything you would change about the movie? Could the, change the movie? Yeah. Is there anything that you would change in the movie if you could? Uh, the same. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I would. I mean, I nothing comes off the top of my head. And the reaction, the knee-jerk reaction I have is first thinking of the stuff that I did. You know, there's a couple of part like let me just put it this way because I need to be diplomatic here. Um, there's a sequence of the film that uh, I animated, but I was not able to finish. Mm -hmm. um, and because they, I really, I'm trying to be very diplomatic here, but let's suffice it to say for, for reasons not, you know, at the end of the production, they they um, they rolled people off the production, especially ones that were you know more expensive. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was not able to be around to finish some of the shots that I had roughed out. And I had actually I actually had me and a couple of other animators. We actually took our rough shots home with us. We did them for free. Uh, we completed a bunch of shots, uh, tie down and rough in between and everything for free after we were like, after we were done on the production, that's how much we wanted to make sure that the animation looked great. But there was a couple of shots in there that I was not able to do. They were, they were finished off by another animator that did a great job, really great job of them. But when I think back about it, there's, I wish that I could have been able to finish those shots off. You know, yeah. it doesn't make any difference in the movie though. The movie, I'm sure people watching the movie probably wouldn't even know the difference if you had the two versions up there, mm -hmm. but it was just for me, like the sense of not being able to finish something. Yeah. I start, that's all. I can yeah. understand that too, man, because, uh, you know, just doing anything, I want to see it through till it's done. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't like, like when I leave for work, I don't like leaving anything for tomorrow. I want to make sure I come in with a clean slate. And it's the same thing when I'm starting something. I want to finish it all the way through. That way I can say like, shit, man, we really did that. I, I did that, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have that same way of looking at it. Um, uh, Vert Cage wants to know, uh, please ask about the process of combining the 3D animation for the giant with the 2D animation and the challenges that came with it since it was one of the first movies to combine these two methods. Um, mm -hmm. Did anything stick out as far as 3D to 2D? Do you remember... A couple of things, a yeah. couple of things. So, so what they did was now, um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, the, the, one of the things that's, that sticks out to me is that what they did was they had the, 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 you know, once they did the, the computer animation of the giant, the, at the beginning, they were going to try to do the thing that we do in 2d animation, where you use a, a combination of ones and twos, um, I don't, I'm not sure how much I need to go into how what that means but essentially it means in some hand-drawn animation they do a drawing every second frame and then sometimes they put a drawing every frame so every frame what we call ones it, it's very smooth but it's a lot of work 
And, you know, they found out early on, if you did it every second frame, it would still look smooth and you only have to do, you know, you don't have to do as many drawings. But as you get better as an 2D animator, you get to the, the skill in being able to go back and forth between them because there's slightly different looks between them. And when you see that really fluid Disney animation, that's what it is. It goes into twos and ones and, and it has a nice feel to it. Uh, ones has like a, a smooth feel for fast action and twos has like a softer look for slower action, basically. So they tried to do that with the computer animation of the giant. Mm -hmm. And it didn't work at all. <laughs> it was like they had a wire, like a, a, it looked like a drawing, like a pencil drawing, yeah, like a wire, not wireframe, but it was like that of the CG animation, but it was the line drawing of the CG animation. But because the CG animation was so perfect, it would stutter whenever it went on twos because it was so absolutely perfect every drawing. And it just didn't look right. And plus it wasn't filled in with color. And it's this weird optical thing when something's just a line drawing in animation, when it's moving on the screen, you don't see the volume. As soon as you fill it in with color, you're not looking at the lines anymore. You're looking at the volume. And so when it's moving, you're seeing a volume moving. When it's just a line drawing, if you picture in your head, a line drawing of a circle moving across, you're looking at a circle drawn. If you fill that circle in with black, it looks like a black dot moving across. So the, the optical thing that happens is when you put it on twos, it, it kind of has a stuttering feel, like it's shaking and it looks weird and it looks dumb. So, that, <laughs> so they, they, they thought, oh, we, they had this great idea that they're going to use ones and twos because, you know, it fit in. And then they realized we can't do that. But then they realized in the end it was good because it made the giant move in this have this feel of like a rope more robotic and it made it feel more like a robot and then you know they made him over the course of the movie if you notice he starts to move less and less as like a robot as yeah. the movie goes on humanizing uh, yeah and yeah. and that was a, that was a very conscious and worked out piece of business um now so what we did it, it wasn't hard per se those line drawings uh, of the computer stuff they just print them out peg them up which means you know they 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 put the peg holes at the bottom so that we can flip it on the on the pegboard like a piece of animation and you would just put your 2d animation over top of that and draw over top of it it wasn't too it, it wasn't too complicated and and we've actually done similar things. They'd done actually similar things in other films, like some of the computerized backgrounds. They probably animated it the same way. Like I think of the clock sequence at the end of Great Mouse Detective, like they had these moving computerized backgrounds that the mouse was crawling over. And that was probably all printed out. And they, they would just, you know, you know, who framed Robert or Rabbit. Uh, you know, that you're printing out stats of the live action, but it's kind of the same thing what they did with the giant. And I think Krista in in Fern Gully was her flying sometimes was animated. They tried doing this thing where they animated her as a computer model to get her to fly around, but I think the animators just ended up <laughs> not using it and and using their own animation. But not uh, maybe time consuming, not super difficult to yeah. do. Beautiful. And uh, I figure we'll end it with this one. 
Um, Polar Sparks wanted to know. Um, he said you've. Uh, I'm sorry if it's if I don't know if it's a he or she, so I apologize. He also directed 11 episodes of My Life as a Teenage Robot. So they're big. My Life as a Teenage Robot fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, questions I have, and they knocked out like four of them, but uh, we'll ask, we'll end it with this one. Uh, is Chris surprised at the resurgence of the Iron Giant in pop culture? The Giant cameoed in Ready Player One in 2018, and it was among the first wave of characters announced in the new fighting game, Multiverses. Does it bother him that the Giant is depicted as a fighter? So, are you surprised at the resurgence yeah. of the Giant? We'll start with that. Surprised? That. Um, surprised um i don't know it's kind of it i don't know what is it when i go i look at it and go oh that's pretty cool <laughs> that's what i that was the way i reacted what you call that i don't know it's like ah, i thought that was pretty cool um i don't worry about the depiction of the giant because the film exists yeah. and the original film exists people are going to take it and do stuff with it i've seen I've seen like mashup fan art type things for, for years and years and years and people doing their own artwork and taking it. And, you know, there, here's the giant, you know, dressed like this, or here he is as a surfer or here and, and taking it in all different directions because they think it's, ah, it's cool. You know, the, the, the film exists and that's the film mm-hmm. and it, people will change it. It's like, yeah, that's, you know, the giant is how, to me, the giant is how he lives in that movie, in the first movie. If people want to do a version of it, then that that's a version of it, you know. So that's the way I feel about that. Um, uh, I'm going to just touch really quickly on this this thing with my life as a teenage robot, because uh, um, it was a very cool thing. I'll just very quickly, because you asked it in that in that thing. It was it was actually more than 11 episodes that I, I directed. It was quite a bit more quite a few they just don't they don't usually line them up in those wikis and stuff but um anybody who gets a chance should watch that show it's a really cool little show um it had its little moment and it was really well designed it had some really cool backgrounds in it the stories were really fun the uh the the theme song is really great you ever listen to that theme song it kicks ass um Um, and it was a ton of, it was a ton of fun. And I, I had come from working at Disney on, um, like, uh, I'm trying to think like Atlantis and home on the range and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And it was getting, it was getting into kind of a dark time at Disney where, where people were getting laid off and stuff. And I, and I left and went over to Nickelodeon and, and the vibe at Nickelodeon was so fun. Like people were just happy it, it was such a great like change of pace for me for that time. And it was such a great time. Rob Renzetti's super talented. All those people that were on there were really great. What a great crew. Um, and, it, and just a fun show. If you ever get a chance yeah. to watch it, it's just a fun show. But um, yeah, I, 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 then I'll, I'll, I'll just come back to the, the you know, kind of like Iron Giant, right? So there's two shows, you know, and there's a couple other ones too, but, you know, Iron Giant was one of those things where all these things, like a perfect storm of coolness comes together, you know, and you work with great people, you have a great opportunity, 
the story's great. Like, you know, it, there, you know, not everything was perfect, um, but it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it ended up, I'm really, I'm really touched by how many people were affected by the film mm -hmm. and, and it really gives, it, it really gives me joy that people enjoy that film so much. Yeah. Um, it makes me feel like, wow, you know, all that hard work, you know, it, it, it paid off in some ways, you know? Um, so all that, you know, thinking, wow, we really got to make this good because we got this chance that you actually sort of succeeded in a little bit, you know, and it gives you that kind of inspiration to go, well, okay, if I ever see that happen again, then I know, I know it pays off. I know this hard work pays off because I've seen it, you know, I've seen it with that film. So yeah, I'm really, I'm, it gives me joy when I hear people talk in, 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 in these kind of positive ways about Iron Giant, what it meant to them that, that, yeah, that, that gives me a lot of joy. Well, I'm glad, man, because this movie has given me a lot of joy throughout the years. I mean, like cool. I said, this is my favorite animated movie of all time and for good reasons, man. So ladies, <laughs> if you haven't seen it in a while, go back and rewatch it. It holds up and it will continue to hold up because like I said, it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> so it's a it's a good one. It's got, you know, it's it's positive and that and the, that ending is so great. You know, the, it, it, it just, is. yeah, just it's just so satisfying to watch it's yeah i'm glad i was yeah i was glad i was around <laughs> to, to, to be part of it man me too man i'm glad you spent some time with me today uh before we wrap up man i know you said you were uh, not the greatest at self-promotion but this is the part where you get the self <laughs> Chris, man, if people want to come and say i love what you do where can they find it you're on social media at all yeah i mostly it, it's my uh instagram Mm -hmm. That's my name is one word, Chris Sauve, C-H-R-I-S-S-A-U-V-E 25 Instagram. Um, yeah, go there. That's where I post all my animation stuff. And I do little lesson things. You know, I, I, I started it. It used to I tell this to everybody. I, I, I used to just post what everybody else just posts on Instagram, like pictures of me drinking a beer with my brother or, you know, like just. And then one day, one day, a friend of mine said, hey, you should post some of your animation on there and you should tell people how, you know, things about doing animation. I went, oh, OK. So I just it was my like we were, you know, like you said, it was me kind of. OK, I'm going to try this self-promotion thing in a way that's more comfortable for me. Yeah. And I just did it and people responded to it. And like I make the joke all the time, it's like people seem to like me talking and showing my animation more than pictures of me on a boat drinking a beer so <laughs> they liked pictures of my animation more than pictures of me so uh i'm all give cool the people with that. They want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's where they would find you know all all the stuff that's with my animation i i have like facebook but that's more for like i don't really spend that much time on there i'm i'm yeah go to go to my instagram and you'll you you can send me a message and say uh hey man how's it going and uh if i'm able to i'll reply and say it's going all right 
And that, uh, that that link will be in the description of this video as well as the description cool. of this podcast so they can click oh, it and go and they can go see what Chris is putting up on Instagram, whether it's a beer, <laughs> it's a picture or animation of Dean. Um, so like, like I said, Chris, this has been a real blast, man. I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Uh, he's been Chris. I've been Julian. This has been the What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Good night. Cheers, guys. My guest next week is the voice of Spear from Gandhi Tartakovsky's Primal, Mr. Aaron LaPlante. Enjoy the teaser. I saw an interview with Charlie Adler, who's a great voice oh, actor yes. and voice acting director. And um, he uh, he just simply said that he used to sing in the car on the way to a session, do whatever he was doing, and then sing on the way back. So that's where, if there was any sort of like preparation technique or something, that's what I would do. I would sing. And uh, and for this is totally true. For Primal, on. I have about like a maybe like a 45 minute drive from my apartment to the student to Cartoon Network. And on that drive, I uh <clears throat> I sing like 90s rap songs. Nice. But in like opera voice. <laughs> really? So so it's like uh what does Tupac sound like for you? The east side of the LBC <laughs> on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. <laughs> And I I do that because um, I know the lyrics to all of them. <laughs> and this is kind of I I when I was in the theater in Seattle yeah. to make my to make my uh, fellow actors laugh. Sometimes I would do that in rehearsals, so I resorted to doing that on the way, and uh, and also just really just kind of making the effort sounds, but not going full force with them, but yeah. just really um, warming myself up. And uh, and sometimes I would make silly Instagram videos. Like if you go on my Instagram, it's uh, at Duder three D O O D E R, the the number three, and scroll down a little bit, you can see videos of me <laughs> doing weird shit with my voice. Uh, and I'm just outside a Cartoon Network about to do Primal. Yeah, that's how I'm warming myself up, and I'm getting the motivation to warm <laughs> myself up by making a silly video.